Pakistan lost East Pakistan on December 16th, 1971. That is the day Pakistan lost the war. We actually lost East Pakistan much before that. Professor and author Asim Sajjad Akhtar made a great remark on the podcast when he spoke about how countries break apart and new countries are formed. But the Pakistan experience is unique in world history, where a majority of the country decided to become a new country. A fact that Bengali leader Ramizuddin reminded Muhammad Munir when in 1962 at the behest of Ayub Khan Munir discussed the separation of East Pakistan Ramizuddin reminded Munir that they were the majority and the real Pakistan the day Ayub Khan imposed the presidential system is the day his Bengali law minister justice retired Muhammad Ibrahim warned him that this would lead to the breakup of Pakistan Sheikh Mujibur Rahman and the people of East Pakistan vehemently supported Fatma Jinnah in the 1965 presidential elections but ayub khan maligned the mother of the nation and rigged the elections to retain power the people of east pakistan chose to be bangladesh instead of pakistan not because they betrayed pakistan but because pakistan betrayed them bengal was at the forefront of the pakistan movement the muslim league was founded in dhaka in 1906 bengalis created pakistan just as much as the people of west pakistan Yet the role is completely whitewashed in our history books. KK Aziz writes about how Bengal was removed from the national consciousness. Hussain Shahid Sohrawardi is not remembered as a founding father of Pakistan. Do many of you even know who he is? The leaders of Pakistan would rather you forget that East Pakistan was ever a thing. You're never taught the truth about 1971 because it will help you understand about what is happening today. This episode of Pakistan Lost will help you do that. breaking the myths dismantling lies and trying to find the facts behind all the propaganda this three part episode covers what happened why it happened and what are the lessons we still refuse to learn part 1 1947 to 1971 bangladesh was not created overnight it was created because for 24 years west pakistan treated east pakistan like its colony the movement for bangladesh started the moment urdu was imposed on east pakistan That is the moment the people of East Pakistan started feeling cheated by the country they helped create. They started feeling alienated, subjugated and colonized. In fact, the Awami League which was originally called the Awami Muslim League was formed in 1949 as a Bengali response to the Urdu dominated Muslim League in West Pakistan. The suppression of identity by the state never works. Citizens are not subjects. The Awami League was leading protests against the decision of the Constituent Assembly of Pakistan in 1952 to reiterate the decision of making Urdu the official language where on February 21st the police shot at the protesters killing at least 5 students. This led to widespread protests across East Pakistan. Instead of listening to their demands the response of the state was to arrest thousands of people including leaders of the Awami League. February 21st is still celebrated as the International Mother Language Day around the world. It took a few more years to get Bengali officially recognized, but till then the damage was done. The language movement birthed the separation of East Pakistan. There was massive distrust for the West Pakistani leadership. When elections were held for the East Pakistan Legislative Assembly in 1954, the Muslim League won only a meager 9 out of 309 seats. However, the ministry formed was dismissed just 2 months later. Chief Minister AK Fazlul Haq was declared a traitor and direct governor rule was imposed. Hundreds of thousands of elected leaders and members of the winning parties were arrested. 1971 happened because the people of East Pakistan resisted. 
Otherwise, the West Pakistan leadership had never respected the mandate of the people in East Pakistan. Even the constitution of 1956 that recognized Bengali was abrogated only two years later with Ayub Khan's military coup. Ayub Khan banned political parties, which led to the arrest of the Awami League leaders again. The voice of the people of East Pakistan was not heard. Their mandate was not respected. The centralized bureaucracy and the establishment of Pakistan was so afraid of its own people that Pakistan did not hold direct elections till 1970, when the Awami League won again. And we all know what happened after that. Despite the Mullah military nexus in Pakistan and decades of the state using religion for its own political ends, religious parties have never won when elections have been fair. The power they have gained in politics is due to their alliances with military dictators. In 1970, both the Awami League and PPP ran a campaign based on socialist and economic ideas. It was clear what the people of Pakistan wanted and what they were voting for. It was just unacceptable to the establishment of West Pakistan. The people of East Pakistan were a negligible part of the Pakistan army and bureaucracy. Despite being the majority population, Bengalis were less than 10% of the army. During the 1965 war, the eastern flank of Pakistan was barely protected by the Pakistani armed forces. India could have walked into East Pakistan in 1965. Mujibur Rahman's eventual demand for an East Pakistan military was not sedition. It was necessary. Even though the main exports of Pakistan came from East Pakistan, a majority of the economic resources of the state were invested in West Pakistan. Power was also concentrated in West Pakistan. The capital was first Karachi, then Islamabad. And to add insult to injury, Ayub Khan built Islamabad with the resources of East Pakistan. Here is finance journalist Khurram Hussain showing all of that with historical evidence. A famous episode, which I'm sure you're aware of, third five-year plan, uh, fourth five-year plan, when it was first, second or third five-year plans, the East Pakistani economists were پلاننگ کمیشن میں جو ہو پارٹ آف دا ایسٹ پاکستانی پلاننگ کمیشن انہوں نے آبجیکشنز ریز کی تھیں اور دا ٹرم دا یوز ٹو یوز واس کہ آپ ہمارے اوپر فاسٹ سیونگز امپوز کر رہے ہیں دا آئیڈیا بینگ کہ یو امپوز فاسٹ سیونگز آن ون پاپولیشن اینڈ دوز سیونگز آر دین یوز ٹو کریٹ اور اور آر آر دین انویسٹیڈ ان این ادر پروونس ان آڈر ٹو بلڈ انفراسٹرکچر اوور دیر اینڈ تو فورتھ فائیو ایئر پلان تک because they were not being listened to they separated out and they said bhai hum log is plan ke himayat nahi karte aur hum log this was by the time by the way somewhere around 1970 jab ye fourth five year plan finalize ho raha tha to aur aur wo alag ho gaye unhone kaha ke hum ek alag introduction likhenge is 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 plan ke liye aur unhone ek separate chapter likha to har five year plan ke shuru mein ek introduction hoti thi تو اس فورتھ فائیو ایئر پلان میں دو انٹروڈکشنز ہیں ایک ویسٹ پاکستانی اکانومسٹ نے لکھی ہے ایک ایسٹ پاکستانی اور ایسٹ پاکستانیز جو ہیں انہوں نے اس میں پھر بیٹھ کے پوری اپنی ہسٹری اس میں نیریٹ کی ہے کہ ہمیں یہ جو ہمارے کنسرنز ہیں ریگارڈنگ دا ڈسٹریبیوشن آف 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 دا فروٹس آف دس گروتھ دیٹ از ہیپننگ اراؤنڈ دا کنٹری ان کو ہم نے ریز کیا ہے ان دا فالوئنگ فارمس آن دا فالوئنگ ڈیٹس پوری لسٹ بناتے ہیں وہ نائنٹین سے شروع ہوتی ہے وہ لسٹ and it comes all the way down. They narrate at one point in 1965 during a radio broadcast when the chief economist of the planning commission referred to all of these people as ghaddars. They say that we were ignored before, then we were 
انہوں نے اپنی اسکالرشپ نکال کے ہمیں ریبٹ کرنے کی کوشش کی اینڈ وین دے کن ڈو دیٹ آئی دا وین اٹ واز پریٹی آبویس واٹ از ہیپننگ ان ٹرمز آف دا ڈسپیرٹی ان دا ایکسیس ٹو دا اسٹیٹس ریسورسز بٹوین ایسٹ اینڈ ویسٹ ونگ تو پھر یہ نیشنل سیکیورٹی کی لینگویج ہمارے خلاف یوز کرنے شروع کر دی اور نائنٹین سکسٹی فور میں ریڈیو پاکستان کے براڈ کاسٹ کے دوران چیف اکانومسٹ پلاننگ کمیشن نے ہمیں یا ڈیپوٹی چیئرمین آئی فوگیٹ اٹس ون آف دوز ٹو بٹ ان کا اپنا کالیگ ان کا اپنا سینئر ریڈیو پہ جا کے اور ریڈیو پاکستان بیک دین واز موسٹ پیپلز ایکسیس ٹو میس میڈیا تو اور ان کو غدار کہا گیا رو ایجنٹس کہا گیا مائنڈ یو یہ وہی دن تھے جب فاطمہ جنا کو بھی غدار کہہ دیا گیا بائی Bangladesh was not created overnight. You did not recognize their language. And when they rioted, you shot at them. You did not recognize their public mandate. You extracted economic resources from them. You did not provide adequate military security to them during the time of war. The final straw that broke the camel's back was when in 1970, the Bola cyclone, one of the deadliest tropical cyclones ever recorded, hit East Pakistan, affecting 3.6 million people. destroying crops and wiping out villages and leaving an estimated 300 to 500,000 people dead. West Pakistan did not adequately provide help to East Pakistan. A 2021 article in Modern Asia Studies by Sravani Biswas and Patrick Daly concludes that the 1970 cyclone, quote, reinforced pre-disaster arguments for Bengali nationalism and served as an, and served as an example of both the failings of the janta and the need for political autonomy among the people of East Pakistan. In short, the significance of the 1970 cyclone was that it intensified pre-disaster tensions and boosted the political efficacy of East Pakistan's demand for autonomy. All of this combined with social discrimination, racism, and the sheer contempt that most of the West Pakistani leadership had for Bengalis is what necessitated the demand for a separate country. And part two is where we look at the events of 1971 and try to break the many myths we hold about the creation of Bangladesh. Part two, destroying the myths, what happened in 1971. In December 1970, when India was getting ready for its fourth election, Pakistan held its first direct election. The Sheikh Mujibur Rahman-led Awami League won 167 out of 169 seats in East Pakistan. PPP also won a clear majority in West Pakistan, winning 86 seats. The worst case scenario for the military. In any normal country, this would have led to the Awami League forming the government, having won 167 out of 313 seats. But Pakistan is not a normal country. Sheikh Mujibur Rahman had previously been arrested by the Ayub Khan regime in 1968 for the Agartala conspiracy case. Although nothing came of it and the government withdrew the case in 1969, Deputy Speaker of the Parliament, Shaukat Ali, did confess in 2010 that they did meet Indian officers in Agartala. But after that, Mujibur Rahman did not call for secession. He participated in elections and won. It was unacceptable to the West Pakistani elite that a Bengali would rule over them. The truth is, Yahya Khan was never going to transfer power to Mujibur Rahman. These people had a disdain for Bengalis. Products of colonialism, they saw themselves as the martial races. and Bengalis as being inferior. Their egos could not tolerate a Bengali ruling over them. Siddiq Salik wrote in A Witness to Surrender that one of Yahya Khan's generals in Dhaka said, we will never let these black bastards rule over us. The creation of Bangladesh was not inevitable. 
There's so many places where history could have been different if people had just zigged instead of zagging. When Ayub Khan was forced to leave, he did not transfer power to the Bengali Speaker of the National Assembly, as he should have. He transferred power to Yahya Khan, another military dictator. I wonder how many countries in the world have had a peaceful transfer of power between military dictators. Pakistan did not have a peaceful civilian transfer of power till 2013. Ayub Khan ruled over Pakistan for 11 years. Yahya Khan, who managed to wrestle control from him by force, was in power for just over a year when elections happened. He was not going to give up control. The 1970 election was not done under a constitution. It was done under Yahya Khan's legal framework order. Apart from the stated provisions, the purpose of the LFO seemingly was to ensure that Yahya Khan stays on as president no matter what happens in the elections. The LFO sought to retain the supremacy of the martial law. It gave Yahya Khan the power to dissolve the assembly or to not accept any constitution unacceptable to him. Yahya Khan wanted General Muhammad Umar, the father of PTI's Asad Umar, and PMLN's Zubair Umar to rig the elections to the military's pleasure. A few books mention how General Muhammad Umar paid off politicians but to no avail. The paid touts could not defeat the Awami League candidates. On the podcast with Zubair Umar, he claimed that his father refused to rig elections. Either way, both sides agree that General Yahya wanted rigged elections. The elections, however, largely reflected the mandate of the people. Elections were held in December 1970. But by March 1971, Yahya Khan had Mujibur Rahman arrested and a military operation had started in East Pakistan. Millions of Bengalis fled from East Pakistan to India. On February 28, 1971, Yahya Khan met Zulfikar Ali Bhutto. Bhutto was refusing to attend the assembly session. Yahya delayed the convening of the assembly. This, this is the moment that is often blamed for starting the war. But on February 22nd, six days before that, a meeting was held at the army headquarters in Rawalpindi. Yahya Khan and the top army generals had decided not to hand over power at any cost to the Bengalis. Despite all of this, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman did not declare independence as it was expected in the March 7th address. Yahya Khan's announcement that the meeting of the National Assembly would be held on March 25th was nothing but a farce and Mujib knew that. It was not Mujibur Rahman who caused the separation of Pakistan. Mujibur Rahman is on the record. He said the six points were neither the Bible nor the Quran. And Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto is on the record saying, it was therefore essential to make every endeavor to find a political compromise on the six points. So democracy could be restored and Pakistan could be saved from disintegration. End quote. Political actors find political solutions. They just weren't allowed to by a military dictator. Yahya Khan saw Mujibur Rahman's six points as sedition. He would have never allowed for a constitution to be built upon them. Based on the experience of East Pakistan from 1947 to 1971, Mujibur Rahman's six points made sense. They harkened back to the original 1940 conception of Pakistan. But the West Pakistan leadership saw their idea of what Pakistan should be as being more important than the lives of millions of people. By the night of February 28th, aboard a PIA Boeing aircraft disguised in civilian clothing, Military troops had started arriving in Dhaka. Tanks were being brought in from other cantonments. By the end of March, Operation Searchlight had been launched, targeting Bengali students, teachers, intelligentsia, intellectuals, civilians, eventually resulting in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. Yahya Khan thought if 100,000 Bengalis were killed, the rest would fall in line. 
General Tikka Khan assured him that he would bring peace within a week in East Pakistan. This was our strategy in East Pakistan, as told by those charged with executing it. Lieutenant Colonel Mansoor al-Haq said there were verbal instructions to eliminate Hindus. And Lieutenant Colonel Aziz Ahmed Khan said, General Nazi visited my tent at Thokargaon and Bhogra. He asked us how many Hindus we had killed. In May, there was an order in writing to kill Hindus. End quote. This is the history we need to look at critically and learn from rather than just blaming India for everything. India did train Muktibani and provide them support even before officially entering the war themselves. Once millions of refugees started pouring into India, Indira Gandhi thought it was economically more viable to go to war than to take in so many people. Full-scale war between India and Pakistan erupted when on the evening of 3rd December, when Pakistan Air Force launched Operation Changhez Khan, attacking 11 of India's airfields leading to retaliation by India and a full-scale invasion of East Pakistan by the Indian forces. After just 13 days, General AAK Niyazi had surrendered to the Indian troops and 93,000 people were taken as prisoners of war by India. Author and historian Tariq Ali told us how the chief of the Indian Army staff, General Sam Manikshaw, told Indira Gandhi after capturing East Pakistan that even West Pakistan was ripe for an invasion. But it was Indira Gandhi and her cabinet who refused. It was also Indira Gandhi who signed the Shimla Agreement with Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto a year later, where India returned all the prisoners of war and any territory gained by India on the Western Front back to Pakistan. She went there and Bhutto made a complete of her. Back and she told me, I said, he's made a monkey out of you. Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto is not without his faults for his role in the debacle, but it was the military responsible for the military operation. No civilian could have sent in the forces. The military operation was the doing of Yahya Khan and the generals around him. And they should be the ones who should be blamed for it. They are the ones who are blamed in the Hamoud Rahman Commission report. But the Hamoud Rahman Commission report was buried. Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto, who had commissioned the report himself, refused to release the first report of the commission to save the military's honor. The Hamoud Rahman Commission report was not kind to General Niyazi and his role in the separation of East Pakistan at all. The surrender was solely the decision of General A.A.K. Niyazi, based on the telegram that he had received from Yahya Khan. This is what General A.A.K. Niyazi calls a clear decision to surrender. Later, Yahya Khan said that it was simply an order for a ceasefire, not surrender. General Niyazi had the troops to fight on for at least another two to four weeks. We could have fought on for a long time, not less than 30 days. Buying Pakistan time to negotiate a ceasefire. The international community was already discussing one. The infamous fiery speech of Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto before the UN Council on December 15, 1971 was nothing but false bravado. Bhutto was playing to the galleries. This is where his fault lies in 1971, that he started acting on the behest of the Yahya Khan government. We will fight. We'll go back and fight. My country harkens for me. Why should I waste my time here in the Security Council? I'm going. But that speech is not why Pakistan lost the war. This was just the Pakistani foreign policy at play. The resolution for a ceasefire that was rejected by Pakistan was a resolution by Poland, a country that was aligned with the Soviet Union. In 1971, India was in the Soviet Union camp and Pakistan was in the United States camp. The reason Pakistan was able to commit so many atrocities in East Pakistan with the world looking the other way was because Pakistan was being protected and armed by the United States of America. In fact, 
the US president Richard Nixon was extremely racist towards Indians calling them sexless nothing and pathetic and Henry Kissinger later called Bangladesh a basket case the 1974 supplementary report of the Hamoud Rahman commission called for the court martial of many individuals in fault instead of those recommendations being followed the same people who were back in power controlling affairs they all had to control 6 years later changing history books to brainwash the masses into worshiping military dictators and abusing politicians for everything wrong with pakistan unfortunately the truth was never told to the people of pakistan they were fed myths and lies and as always the pakistani establishment found a civilian to blame everything on zulfikar bhutto and mujibur rahman both had a role to play in 1971 but when will we be allowed to critically question the role of other institutions It is the notion that Zulfikar Ali Bhutto was solely responsible for the separation of the country that I'm arguing against. Bhutto's hubris did not help, but he was not the puppet master of Yahya Khan. Is the idea that Yahya Khan planned to kill hundreds of thousands of people in East Pakistan to quell dissent, but he could not stand up to Zulfikar Ali Bhutto? It is more likely that it was Yahya Khan who was asking Zulfikar Ali Bhutto to hold these rallies and using the excuse of public pressure to intervene militarily. This is Zulfikar Ali Bhutto's fault. collaborating with the military government but it is a lie that zulfikar ali bhutto said idhar hum udhar tum he never said that this was a headline in the newspaper that was imagined by the editor of the newspaper the editor acknowledged that in the newspaper the very next day all this is a matter of historical record but people continue repeating the lie because it suits the establishment's narrative zulfikar ali bhutto did say that he would break the legs of any mna who attends the national assembly session The 120-day deadline to make the constitution would have been triggered from the first day the assembly session was called. The excuse people make for Bhutto is that he wanted to negotiate matters with Mujib before the deadline started. But these things could have been negotiated in the assembly itself. Zulfikar Bhutto was also hated by the military command. It is only when the election results of 1970 came that the military preferred Bhutto to gain power over Mujib. Interestingly, after 16 December 1971, Hossein Haqqani writes how one of the generals around Yahya Khan wanted Zulfikar Ali Bhutto arrested too, but his junior officers refused to obey his command. Instead, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto was made the civilian martial law administrator of Pakistan, a smear that would always stay against his name. There was no constitution, so there was no other way for him to get power, and it is not a power he held on for too long. But history will never be kind to him being called civilian martial law administrator after the 1970 elections the person who blatantly rejected the mandate of the people was yahya khan as president he could have called a national assembly session he absolutely did not need bhutto's acquiescence to do so yahya khan did assure mujibur rahman that he would be the next prime minister but even mujib knew that this was a lie mujib doubted the intentions of these meetings and negotiations because he could see the military build up in east pakistan as they were going on If you ask my opinion the impasse in negotiations was likely because Yahya Khan wanted to stay on as president. Sheikh Mujibur Rahman and Zulfikar Ali Bhutto could have come to an agreement themselves where one gets to be president and the other prime minister and a power sharing model could have been agreed upon. But the only stumbling block there was Yahya Khan. What Zulfikar Ali Bhutto's main fault is that he did not stand with the people of East Pakistan. He decided to further the military's narrative by charging up the people of West Pakistan against Mujibur Rahman. He should have allied with Mujib to pressurize Yahya Khan to hand over power. Yahya Khan refused to do so. Both Zulfikar Bhutto and Mujib Rahman were negotiating, and they had almost come to an agreement. It is even said that they had agreed to 5.5 of Mujib's six points. Yusuf Nazar even came on the podcast and talked about how Zulfikar Bhutto was a hotel in Dhaka when the military operation started. 
and he had to be hastily evacuated. The same thing happened to Zulfikar Ali Bhutto six years later, when him and the opposition had almost come to an agreement, but Ziaul Haq imposed martial law. The optimistic take on this is that Zulfikar Ali Bhutto did not realize he was being used by the military to buy time to build up its military capacity, whereas the cynical take is that Bhutto was in on the plan and he was buying time at the behest of the military. I'm not sure which one of the two it is, but Sheikh Mujibur Rahman and the people of Bangladesh welcomed Zulfikar Ali Bhutto with open arms when he visited them. He received a hero's welcome. And a couple of years later, on Zulfikar Ali Bhutto's invitation, Mujibur Rahman also came to Lahore to attend the OIC in 1974. What happened after 1971? Zulfikar Ali Bhutto became the Prime Minister of Pakistan and Mujibur Rahman became the Prime Minister of Bangladesh. There was going to be a new dawn for both the countries. The decades-long military rule was over. The war was lost and the armed forces were back to their barracks. But hope is always short-lived in Pakistan. On August 15, 1975, a group of young Bangladeshi army personnel shot dead Mujibur Rahman and most of his family, and Bangladesh would soon be under a military coup. In Pakistan, on 5th July 1977, Ziaul Haq declared martial law. Two years later, Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto was hanged. Mujibur Rahman's two sons were also murdered with him. Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto's two sons were also later murdered. Both their daughters also went on to become the prime ministers of their country. It's funny how history plays out. We, however, refuse to learn from this history. Those in power control the narrative, and that is the narrative we've all grown up with. A narrative we accept uncritically. And this is why we never learn from our past. And the last part of this episode looks at precisely that. Part 3. How we remember 1971 and the lessons we don't learn. Bangladesh's income has multiplied 50 times. Per capita income, 25 times. Exports have grown 100 times and poverty is down to 20% from 60% in 1990. Bangladesh is one of the fastest growing economies of the developing world. They've done this by reducing population growth, investing in education, adding women participation in the workforce, reducing religious intolerance, focusing on exports and fostering good relationships with its neighbours. Books on Pak studies still boast about how fertile the lands of Pakistan are. Yet Bangladesh, despite producing practically no cotton of its own, had textile exports worth 27.42 billion for July 2022 to January 2023. Over the same period, Pakistan's textile exports amounted to 10.039 billion. Despite Pakistan bumping billions in subsidies and protections for the textile sector, Bangladesh today has a higher GDP and nearly double the GDP per capita of Pakistan with nearly half the debt. And still something worthless in Pakistan is called a do take ki cheese. Today, one Bangladeshi taka equals 2.65 Pakistani rupees. Fact is, do rupe ki cheese is not even worth one taka today. This is the country that Henry Kissinger called a basket case. And West Pakistan treated like a colony for 24 years. What we call the fall of Dhaka is actually the rise of Dhaka. And we still refuse to learn the lessons from 1971. We even refuse to learn the economic lessons from today. In 1970, East Pakistan was 75% poorer than West Pakistan. And today, Bangladesh is 45% richer than Pakistan. What are they doing right that we're doing wrong? Despite nearly 80% of Pakistan being below the middle income poverty rate of $5.5 a day, Pakistan's priorities continue to be outlandish, outrageous and out of touch. 
people in pakistan are still mournful about the separation of the country but we did not lose the pakistan we should have been on 16 december 1971 we lost it from 1947 to 1971 when the state exploited east pakistan extracted wealth from the region and alienated the majority of the country as there was criminal silence from the people of west pakistan we expect the state to be barbaric that is what has unfortunately been the history of the pakistani state but it is the intellectual dishonesty and the moral bankruptcy of the west pakistani intelligentsia that baffles me supposed intellectuals continue to act like apologists for the state and seek to find justifications for how bengalis were treated in a recent article of dawn author and oral historian anam zakaria ripped apart the movie khel khel mein and the drama jo bichhad gaye for trying to whitewash pakistan's crimes in 1971 the documentary that came along with these two was even more nonsensical when the best defense this elite privileged intelligentsia can offer is that it would have been mathematically impossible for the pakistani army to kill 3 million people and rape 200000 women then you can make your own judgments about their intellectual capacities i also think sheikh mujibur rahman's claims were far fetched but if we were to even divide these numbers by 10 would that be justified if instead of millions and hundreds of thousands If thousands were killed and hundreds were raped, is that justified? In the aforementioned article, Anam Zakaria also makes a great point about how the Urdu-speaking community of Bangladesh is used as a way to create a false equivalency. The violence by the Mukti Bani and the Bangladeshi state against the Biharis and the Urdu-speaking community is unjustified, violent, and barbaric, and it needs to be called out as such. But it cannot be used to both sides this issue, especially since Pakistan also fails to take ownership of the community. Anam talks about how talking to people at one of these camps in Dhaka made her realize the resentment some of them hold towards Pakistan for making false promises to them and then doing nothing. One camp resident told Anam, "Chidiya ghar banaya hua hai, dekh ke chale jaate." As the Pakistan army surrendered in Dhaka on 16 December, on the morning of 17 December, West Pakistan woke up to newspapers talking about how the war was ongoing. and the great progress that was being made by the pakistan army i never show my men will you make any attempt at a conditional surrender no sir the question is either we live or we die that was before the times of social media and instant communication even then people in west pakistan had seen the truth on bbc the night of 16 december yet they woke up to complete lies in the newspaper the next day and the gaslighting continues to this day We're told the facts we see are not true. We're told to believe in conspiracy theories, and those who take millions of rupees from the state to peddle lies live a cushy life, without anyone daring to question their credibility and legitimacy. Pakistan is stuck on this roundabout of nasuk morals because we fail to learn from history. We treated Bangladesh as a colony, and despite losing the eastern wing, just a decade later, we started treating Afghanistan as a playground for delusions of strategic depth. it only led to pakistan being plagued with terrorism for decades to this day we label sindhis pashtun and baloch as traitors for their legitimate demands just like bengalis were labeled even fatma jinnah was labeled a traitor the pashtun tahfuz movement is a peaceful non-violent movement yet they are labeled as traitors and enemies of the state despite being an mna ali wazir was in jail for 26 months on trumped up charges without any access to justice if we are to learn from history and avoid making the same mistakes again we need to set the historical record straight and speak facts of the matter so we can learn from our mistakes rather than not even acknowledging them television shows done on 1971 in pakistan proclaim to this day we do not know the exact reasons for the fall of dhaka except 
you do a judicial commission was formed and a report was written you know all the reasons you know what happened you know exactly how it happened and you know what to do to prevent it you chose to bury that report instead of listening to the recommendation and tv channels in pakistan do not dare to speak the truth even the liberal intelligence of pakistan would rather both sides the issue to escape accountability rather than call it as it is general bajwa even went so far as to call it a political failure rather than a military failure and maybe if you were to go about in the streets and ask the common person i surmise that, that most people would say it was zulfikar ali bhutto's hubris or it was india's involvement or it was sheikh mujibur rahman that led to the breakup of pakistan as always civilian politicians and in india is to be blamed for everything but those actually in power get to wash their hands from the mess and come back 6 years later for another decade of a military dictatorship zulfikar ali bhutto was even on the record saying if india withdraws they are prepared to accept as loose an arrangement as east pakistan wants was that notion so unacceptable to the west pakistani leadership killing hundreds of thousands of people who would prefer to provincial autonomy this should give you great insight into why the establishment has desperately tried to reverse the 18th amendment the past few years we thought that bangladesh was inevitable because of the distance between the two wings but on our podcast with her anand zakaria does a great job questioning that the two wings could have coexisted as a federation or as a union and even if they were to become two countries they could have done so amicably with the two countries maintaining friendly relationships they could have drawn a road map towards sovereignty any scenario would have been better than what happened still the loss that is mourned in pakistan is that of separation not of the hundreds of thousands of lives lost how many rains before we wash away the sins of our past this is what faiz ahmed faiz wrote kab nazar mein aayegi bedakh sabse ki bahar khun ke dabbe dhulenge kitni barsaton ke baad they write the history of their own choosing they keep the masses uninformed about our own past they repeat the same mistakes over and over again and then we wondered why pakistan is stuck in an infinite loop of cascading crises here is a single story that encapsulates the real grim reality of what happened during the war general niazi told his troops at the command headquarters ye mujhe samajhte kya hai main is haramzadi qoum ki nasal badal dunga one of the officers in his ranks listening to him was major mushtaq a bengali he went to the bathroom and shot himself that is the day the conscience of pakistan died. the tragedy we see is the hundreds of thousands who died so needlessly But the tragedy we don't see is the silence of millions. Why did the people of West Pakistan care so little about the people of East Pakistan? When you think of people as being do take ke, their lives are not even worth those do take for you. The apathy and the dehumanization, it all starts with hate. Hindus and Sikhs were killed in 1947 and we did not speak out. Bengalis were killed in 1971 and we did not speak out. We never speak out. It should then come as no surprise. why there is so much silence around balochistan